Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan. And today we're joined by James Richmond and we're going to talk about sailing. Sailing, one of my very favorite topics is sailing. And James is not only an accomplished sailor, but he's also an accomplished energy manager. And he has taken his career in energy management and put it on board sailboats. And he's come up with a whole new means of solar electric propulsion that we're going to be talking about today. Delighted to have James on the show. Hey, James, welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic Podcast. It's great to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you, Ted. You're a, you're a legend in my mind, so it's really great to have a chance to talk to you today. I want to, I'm, I'm just delighted to have you on the show and, you know, I want to talk about sailing, uh, not, not just because it's a fun recreational thing to do, but it's a big part of your life right now. But you go way back in sailing. I read, uh, you did a little bit of snooping around. I read that you've been sailing since you were four years old. Is that true? Yeah, I've been sailing since I was four years old, probably not the whole time. But um, my, my dad, Randy Richmond, used to take me sailing on an El Toro uh, on a river in Oregon, I think, um, when I was four years old. And then when I was um, still in my single digit years, he had a Cal 20 on the Long Island Sound, and he used to take me out racing with them um, when they'd go out on weekends on the, on the Cal 20. And, and then uh, Randy got a Ranger 29 in Massachusetts Bay when I was a um, young teenager. And I um, grew up racing with the, with the boys on the Ranger 29. So I've, um, I go, go way back and my, my dad taught me how to sail. You not only go way back, but that's a, that's a very interesting progression. Did you say Oregon, a river in Oregon to Long Island Sound to Massachusetts and I thought maybe you were just, you grew up in, on Coronado Island in San Diego. No, no. I was born in California, but um, I, I moved 18 times before I went to college. Um, my, my dad, Randy, moved around a lot because he was one of IBM's top salesmen. And they would always move him to the lowest performing uh, branch, and then he'd make it the highest performing branch, and then they'd move him again the next year. That happened my whole childhood. How do you, how do you, how do you think that shaped you, by the way? Um, I, I don't know. I think the way that it shaped me is that ever since I like got out of the house, I like to stay put, um, where, where I am for a while. I don't like to move too much, although I don't really mind, um, moving short distances now. Yeah, no, but moving, moving is tough. And then as a kid, I think from bouncing from school to school and meeting new friends and everything, you must, you must've been very adaptable, but sailing became a, a, a deep passion, right? Oh no, it's a it's a it's a way of life. I mean, once you once you're sort of brought up that way, it's a way of life. And my son has sort of like you know picked up where I left off as well. My daughter has not, um, you know. So it, it's not like it infects everybody in the family equally. What What would you say would be some of your favorite memories of your early sailing? Oh well, one of the one of the most favorite ones was um, I was in my early twenties and we um, raced the. Nelson Merrick 41 from Marblehead to Halifax in a, in a three and a half day ocean race. And um, it was foggy and we never really saw anybody the whole race. Um, And we crossed the line and at really early in the morning when it was dark out, um, went into the Harbor and wonder where all the boats were. We, we um, won the, won the race first boat to finish and first overall the whole thing. Wow. That was exciting. 
And why were you why were you first? Was that your expertise, or were the, or the boat was fantastic, or both, or what? I think it was navigation. We um, um, avoided the um, suction of the Bay of Fundy by sailing extra distance, and actually found better wind out there um, yeah. off the southern part of Nova Scotia. Uh, and a lot of other boats got sort of sucked into the Bay of Fundy in lighter air, and um, it allowed us to get way ahead. Sailing is kind of um, um, magical, isn't it? And in, in just in terms of the, the experienced sailors kind of know where to find the wind. I remember growing up on you know, Long Island in, in Cold Spring Harbor. And you, know, you might think that the best wind would be right out in the middle of the harbor. But sure enough, there was old Mr. Page or Mr. Rumineer or Mr. <laughs> all these, Mr. Murray, all these uh, friends, my, all my friends' fathers who were sailing in these little boats and they would hug the shoreline and pick up the little wind currents and really neat stuff. Yeah. Local knowledge is a big part of sailboat racing, especially small boat racing um, and, and getting out of the current if it's adverse or getting into the current, if it's going with you is a big part of it as well. Right. Right. I like what you said about people getting infected by this. Um, <laughs> what, was it, what is it about sailing? I mean, these sailors are out there for hours and hours Right. You know, I mean, sort of at the at the whimsy of the wind uh, and just happy as clams. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's there's just something about. Well, so there's 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 sailing and cruising and there's, you know, the leisure part of it. And there's also sailboat racing. And um, you, you really kind of it's two different worlds. The sailboat racing is is stressful and competitive, but um, you get a, you get a good buzz from that. Um, the sailboat cruising is very relaxing if you can allow you, yourself to um, just just go with it um, and go slowly. Um, but once you're once you're out on the water, um, you, you've got like you know uh, large horizon views all around you. There's new things to see. Uh, everybody seems to be friendly for the most part. You know, everybody waves at each other. It's a it's a different world out there than it is like you know on land or on the freeway, for example. Yeah, it really, it really is, and it's like a it's like a backpacking trip. We I, I told you we did a a week on the coast of Maine last summer, and, yeah. and you know you're off and you don't really you don't want to t take cell phone calls, and you're just you're having this experience with nature, like you said. The pace is is uh, the pace slows down sometimes if there's a good wind, you know, you're, you're having a kind of an anxious time with it all, or certainly anxious picking up some of those moorings. Yeah. We just, um, we just sailed a boat down from uh, Newport beach to Coronado um, weekend before last. And it was, it was cold weather. It wasn't really that warm out. It was really in the morning and we were going um, over the La Jolla trench, which is water that's about four to 600 feet deep right off of La Jolla. And there were thousands of dolphins. Literally, like the, the ocean was boiling with dolphins. Wow. And we also saw a whale breach three times in the middle of all that as well. And and that's the kind of thing that just makes it worth it is to is to experience that. The dolphins just swimming under the boat, the dolphins jumping up into the air, you know, making eye contact with them. It's really interesting. Yeah, that that's just that's just something else. And I love what you said about. For the most part, people out on, on the water are friendly. Everybody is waving. It's just like being in Colorado, in the rural Colorado. Everybody waves to one another. Uh, you're, you're truly away from the hustle and bustle. So let's segue away from sailing for a minute, and we'll, and we'll come back. But 
I think what happened was you had to go off to college and get serious. Uh, <laughs> and so off you went to the University of Michigan. Is that right? Yeah, yeah I went. I actually got into engineering school first at the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut, got my grades up for the first year in engineering school, and then got admitted to the Naval Architecture Program at the University of Michigan. It's one of the few places in the U.S. that has a, um, a test tank for um, model boats. And so they have a, a degree program in Naval Architecture and Marine Engineering there. And that's why I ended up in Michigan. Seems a little odd. It's freezing cold there, but that's where you go. <laughs> that, that's that's amazing. I mean, are there there must be very few schools that have that uh, specialized naval architecture program? Yeah, there's only I think three uh, in the in the U.S. and uh, University of Michigan is one of them. And so you were thinking about designing boats at that time, or were you? I don't want to get into the propulsion yet because that's later in the story. I think. Yeah, I, I, I decided I was, you know, early on when I was a kid that I wanted to be a yacht designer because that was what my life was all about. And um, and through the process of, of doing that, um, I became interested in solar energy and energy efficiency because a lot of those things are related. And I, and I wrote my thesis on um, an offshore floating platform that produces hydrogen from multiple renewable sources. So um, I call it Atlantis. Um, so back in 1984, when I, I actually wrote um, a paper about the solar hydrogen economy and producing hydrogen offshore of seawater. Wow, I, I, we were in very similar spheres. I might have even seen might have even seen your paper. I didn't realize that you're that the um, that there was that linkage with your your marine life all the way all the way back then because you then went on to study solar you got a degree in at a um, Cabrillo College yes. and then and then did and then is that when you formed your own company to start building solar systems and building energy management systems for people? No, I I, I went independent in, in 1999 um, when I. When I was um, doing the the solar energy technology degree program at Cabrillo College, I was selling solar energy um, as a telemarketer for solar energy at the time. Right. And 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 sold the systems um, for domestic water heating systems. This is back in in Santa Cruz. Um, and then I was a, a energy auditor for PG&E and Seattle City Light and Puget Power and did thousands of residential energy audits, um, either as an employee or as a contractor. Uh, and, um, and then ended up in the state of Washington um, and was the coordinator for the 1991, 1991 Washington State Energy Code development, uh, managed the, the um, technical advisory groups that met every week for that process. So when you, when you went independent, as you put it in 1999, was that where, what, what state were you in? It's hard to keep for me to keep up geographically with you. I was in, in Colorado. And at the time I was um, working for a, an electric metering company called Continental Control Systems. Prior to that, I was working for uh, Michael and Don at, at Architectural Energy Corporation in Boulder. Yeah. Um, and I decided to, I had tried to go independent in 1997 and failed and went back to work for CCS on the 
on their electric product and then was able to break free finally in 1999. And I'm proud to say I've been gainfully unemployed ever since. <laughs> well, you've done a lot of projects. Uh, so I, I guess it's how, you, it's how you spin that. But that was Ener the Energy Solutions Network. And somehow uh, you and I were both working on Prop 39 works. Um, was that was that part of the Energy Solutions Network or was that a different entity? Well, we, Energy Solutions Network was, was uh, the, what I call my consulting company for you know, quite some time. We started a new company in California um, called First Note Finance and it was, its purpose was really to do PACE financing. Um, but we quickly got swept into the, um, the Prop 39 um, because of just the inertia of it. Um, you know, I just started driving around um, explaining to um, schools like how much money they had allocated to them and they had never heard of it before. And within weeks or months, I had, you know, millions of dollars of, um, of, of grant work to do. And that, that ended up building into um, $40 million and 11 employees about a, a year and a half later. Um, so it, it the, just the pure inertia of Prop 39 just like swept us up. What would you say were your most, the, the most exciting projects then of that era? Well, the, the, a couple of them, um, you know, I worked on a number of um, projects where um, we, I was working for ESCOs like Train and Siemens and, and Southland Industries, but with Train in particular, we were converting entire military bases from central heating plants to um, distributed geothermal systems. And so I um, learned geothermal. I actually did a lot of the baselines for those performance contracts, installing electric metering in, in um, you know, a lot of the buildings on the electrical panels on, on a lot of the military bases um, all over the country. Um, another exciting project was with um, um, the, it, the Denver International Airport was building their new um, terminal um, and, and hotel. And uh, I got um, brought in to manage the preliminary engineering to be sure that the uh, central air conditioning plant was going to have sufficient capacity for the hotel or not. Yeah. That, wow. was a, that was a pretty intensive project. And then another really great project was for the Decane Light in Pittsburgh, um, where I brought in 16 subconsultants and over about, I don't know, eight months um, uh, did, did projects for uh, continuous commissioning for the, um, the central heating plant for uh, Pittsburgh, two of their major hospitals and the, uh, the Sears Tower, not the Sears Tower, the, um, the U.S. Steel Tower in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and that 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 was like a like a fast track project where we had to like get results in less than a year before the the money dried up. Now, are we still based in in Colorado at that point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Colorado is a good place to be a consultant from because you could get to anywhere within two hours on a plane. Right. <laughs> and then, I mean, as it as it was described in I think one of the articles about you and about the Rambling Rose, the sailboat we're going to talk about next. 
uh, you know, in, during the pandemic, instead instead of taking up what needlepoint and, and learning to bake or eating a whole lot of food, you decided to shift and, and make a big shift. And I, I think you left your home in Colorado, moved to Coronado Island on San Diego, bought the Rambling Rose, which is this catamaran of, of some note. Is that is is that the right timing? Well, you haven't got the timeline exactly right, but but the the we had already been in, in Coronado. Um, I ended up in Coronado to do a demand response program for the Navy uh, and SDG&E um, in the, I don't know, 10, 10, 12 years ago. That got, that program got killed by the fiscal cliff, if you remember the fiscal cliff. Um, and um, I, that was when I started the Prop 39 program. My son came out while he was still in middle school uh, and learned how to surf one summer while I was doing that and decided that he wanted to go to high school in Coronado. So we rented our house out in Nederland, Colorado and, and moved the family to Coronado uh, while I continued on building the, the Prop 39 program. Yeah. But then, but then we wanted to sell the house in Colorado and so we had to live in it for two years. So in 2018, we moved back to it and got it fixed up to sell. And the house was for sale when the pandemic happened. And, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of business going on at that time. So I'd like wake up in the morning and, and walk down the hall. That was my commute uh, to the office. And the first thing I do is I look at Yacht World in the morning and see what was going on on Yacht World that day. And then one day I found what's now the, the Ramblin' Rose Leopard 40 Catamaran for sale. And I saw in the pictures that it was docked right near a friend's boat. So it was docked right in Coronado. So I made a call about it, learned that it, that, uh, it was in a charter program. And if I bought it, I could keep it in the charter program. And the boat would, was their biggest moneymaker in the fleet. And so I bought the boat on the spot that day, um, sight unseen. And that's how I ended up with the Ramblin' Rose in the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one, Jim. Now, you had a vision for the boat that most most yacht owners wouldn't have this vision um, but you decided to put a whole bunch of solar panels on the boat and a whole bunch of batteries in the boat and put in this new ocean volt system these turbo props uh, where did you wh when did you first have that notion of i guess replacing diesel with electric but then you, you, the, the benefits go way beyond just replacing diesel with electric when did you first have that idea well, it, it, it was it was more of a train of thought than it was like a, a formulated idea. So, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to um, put solar on a boat. And one of the reasons I was looking at a catamaran and this catamaran in particular is it had a lot of room to put solar panels on the boat. And so as you're researching, you know, how to put solar panels on a boat, you you get into like, well, you have to store the, the energy. And so you start researching the batteries and you learn that there's different types of battery, you know, chemistries. And um, I came upon, you know, lithium batteries and lithium iron phosphate batteries. And um, once I started like focusing in on the lithium iron phosphate batteries, I started realizing that people were using them for electric propulsion in, in boats, mostly in Europe and then a little bit on the East Coast. And so as I started researching that further, I started looking at various companies that manufactured electric propulsion 
And the one that really seemed the most interesting to me was Ocean Vault, um, based in Finland. Um, and that's how I um, got interested in Ocean Vault. So I called them up one day and they put me in touch with, with Derek Roop, who's their CEO in the US, um, based in um, Connecticut. Um, and I explained to him, I think I want to get the Ocean Vault for this catamaran. And he's like, well, that's really great, but we don't have anybody on the West Coast or really even in Southern California at all that can handle a retrofit like that. I said, okay, well, I can do that. Um, you know, that was unusual for Ocean Vault. Usually you have to go through a training program in order to be able to do that sort of thing. But since it was the pandemic, all the rules had changed. Yeah. So they allowed me to do it. So that's how it happened. How many KW of solar is on the roof? You have this this it's sun sun flare, thin film, flexible solar, and how many KW have up on the deck? It's about it's about one point eight KW, and um, the, the the thing to understand about um, solar on a boat is that um, it's always moving, and so you need an MPPT charge controller to handle that sort of movement to get any kind of efficiency out of the out of the, the solar. Um, additionally, on a sailboat, the panels are often shaded or partially shaded. Uh, and the other issue on a sailboat is that um, it's hard to get around a sailboat without walking on solar panels from time to time. So the nice thing about the sunflare panels is they're not silicon cells, so they're not brittle. They're only a micron thick, so they're flexible. They take the shape, shape of the boat uh, and they have a... a it, an individual uh, bypass diode for every cell. So the cells that are lit produce and the cells that are shaded don't. And so you get the maximum efficiency out of those, um, out of those panels and, and they're walkable and durable. So that's why I put them on the rambling rows that seem like- And then we've got, so you got the, you got 1.8 KW of solar um, and then that's going down and that's feeding into your batteries yes. and you've got, I think you got about 44 kWh of battery storage on board, all told. All oh, least, yeah. I've, I've got there's four battery banks on there, um, more than even when you were on the boat. There's 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 two 21 kilowatt hour battery banks for um, one for each of the two motors, and then there's um, there's there's two house banks which are about I don't know about um, probably about another 10 kilowatt hours each um so you know is that that's about 40 or 50 yeah they're, like they're powering the all your instrumentation and your refrigerator and your induction cooktop stove and your yeah i i, I put i put an electric stove in a and a um and a microwave um a convection of a microwave you know so the and took the propane off the boat so the batteries and the sun have a lot to do <laughs> right, right and then and in terms of the propulsion i think the coolest thing and you know obviously hats off to you for being able to do the physical work of installing these additional propellers on your boat these turbo props on your boat and then linking that all up with the batteries and the solar but as i as i imagine it and just very simplistically here's a catamaran with these two hulls and on the back of each hull is a motor that is dropped down into the water from the bottom of that hull and the, and when you need power you can you, you can turn that motor on there's two of them you can turn them on when you don't they're actually generating and you're actually going through the water they're actually generating power 
right? Yeah, yeah you can you can switch on the hydro hydro generation, and usually that works best if you're going more than six knots. Yeah. Uh, and if you turn both of them on and the, there's not a lot of wind, they slow the boat down a little bit. So uh, I, I've learned to sort of just use one, one at a time to just charge the bank that's more discharged. Right. Um, but, the, but the boat's also uh, still has its original diesel engines. And one of the modifications that I made just a few months ago is I added a 48 volt alternator to one of the diesel engines. So I can, I can fire up the, the starboard diesel engine and recharge the batteries at sea with the with the diesels. Um, if there's no wind or there's no sun. If you need to, yeah, you got it. You've sort of got a whole, so you've really got a hybrid. I don't. Is this a hybrid electric sailboat? Is that a way of putting it, or you have a hybrid electric propulsion? That's the way people people think of it as a, as a, is a hybrid, but you know that implies that like there's automatic switching between the two, and everything's manual. And everything's set up for maximum, you know, safety and redundancy. Yeah. So every, so each electric motor has, is has its own battery bank and is on its own network. Each diesel engine is um, is on its own starting battery uh, and can operate independently of each other. So there's four way to redundancy in the in the propulsion system on the boat. But you've really you've really proven with this boat, and you've had you know you've had an AEE article on it. You've had lots of press. You've proven that you can replace a diesel propulsion system on a on a recreational sailboat, right? And have and have a number of spin-off benefits. And one is you sort of decarbonize your whole all of your all of your equipment, your kitchen equipment, everything is has been swapped out as well. Yeah, I gotta add a water maker next. That's that's uh, to to really make the thing a blue water cruiser and needs a water maker. So that's really the next project. That's the next five thousand dollars I have to bite off. <laughs> well, I, is is the boat for sale now? I looked in your website and it looked like maybe it was for sale. It looked like you had a, a plan to shift to a monohull. Yeah, I, I bought a monohull. I, I, I got it. I was offered a slip at Coronado Yacht Club and I got the boat. That's the one we sailed down from Newport Beach a couple weekends ago. So now I have two boats uh, and two sets of expenses, uh, you know, to, to pay. But the Ramblin' Rose is for sale. Um an unexpected outcome of the Ramblin' Rose being for sale is that lots of people are looking at it. And it's getting way more exposure than before huh. because it's being advertised on Yacht World and, um, you know, all the yacht brokers are um, looking at it because catamarans are, are rare in Southern California. So um, even if I don't sell the Ramblin' Rose, I may keep it for sale forever because it's like a it's a great marketing tool. Yeah, and it's well, it's a proof of a concept, uh, absolutely. And and you are now in the business, the Sunwater Marine. I know you have the boat now. The boats plural, but uh, which are <laughs> which would be would be chartered. But but Sunwater Marine, you're in the business of consulting others that might want to um, do the same thing, decarbonize, you know, their their boats, right, and put in uh, this ocean volt system or some similar solar electric systems. Yeah, so so I'm I'm the dealer for Ocean Volt of Finland, um, and Sunwater Marine is also um, a worldwide distributor for Sunflare. Um, and so so far that's all well and good. We haven't made money doing that. I'm still um, working in the energy industry, um, you know, to to pay the bills. But you know, you know, 
I've always been early to the party. When this thing breaks open, it's going to break open fast, and I want to want to be first there. So here we are. Yeah. Well, congratulations for for being an early to the party guy. In this case, um, you've really laid out a whole vision. I, I I'll never forget sailing with you, and then we had light wind, and and we needed to come about. And you just said, "Well, just goose the just goose the motor on that." I guess the starboard side, and and all this, <laughs> which kind of was a whole different sailing experience for me. But you've really you've transformed what a, how a, a boat like that could operate, and uh, and really proven that it's possible. So especially especially in light air, which is pretty prevalent in San Diego, ha- having electric motors is they're silent. First of all, you can barely hear them, if yeah. at all, uh, yeah. and by by just moving the boat forward a little bit through the light air, you actually make your own apparent wind. And yeah. that's pulling the boat along sailing, whereas otherwise it would just be sitting there flopping. Amazing. Hey, Jim, thanks so much for this time together. I enjoyed it. Yeah, great great hanging with you, Ted. See ya. Bye-bye. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.